Hello and welcome to another episode of The Thriving Metabolism, where we discuss everything that impacts your hormones and metabolism so that you can take control, repair the damage and lose weight consistently without making yourself miserable in the process. It's my mission to empower you so that you and your metabolism thrives and you never have to go through diet misery again. I'm Louise Vicky, registered nutritional therapist, weight loss expert, and founder of the Nourish Method to Lasting Fat Loss. In today's episode, we're going to be digging into how very low calorie diets can actually make you less healthy. If you've tuned in before, you probably know that I'm not a fan of counting calories and I want to explain in more detail today why that is. I was inspired to focus on this today because when I was combing through the literature, I found a great study that followed up with people who did a very low calorie diet 15 years ago to see not only whether they'd kept the weight off, but also what their health outcomes were. I think it's really important that we discuss this issue in detail, but also that I regularly mention it because even when you know that doing a very low calorie diet isn't the right approach long term, sometimes it can feel like the only way. But I wanna try and put that idea firmly to bed today because As you'll see, a very low calorie diet can have a long-term impact and not a good one. So let's start by getting clear on what a very low calorie diet actually is. Definitions do vary, but it's generally accepted that anything under 1500 calories is low calorie and anything under 800 to 1000 calories is a very low calorie diet. So I'm sure there's lots of you listening who have taken your calories below a thousand for at least a few weeks at some point. And you may not even have realized it if you were doing a meal replacement diet like the one-to-one diet or what used to be Cambridge or Slim Fast or anything that contains ingredients that might suppress your appetite. You know, fasting diets can also incorporate this very low calorie aspect. So it's a very common practice. And, you know, there's a lot of studies that promote very low calorie diets as an effective treatment for obesity and diabetes. But those studies only look at the participants for 12 weeks or so. And then we get no more information about what happened afterwards. And, you know, I'm sure the real life experience that most of us have had, either if we've done such a diet ourselves or if we know someone who's done it, is that the weight loss can be really impressive, but it doesn't last, right? And yes, it's effective if you wanna drop a few stone before your holidays or before a big event, but at what cost? When you look at the research, there's no denying that a very low calorie diet looks like a great idea. You know, studies show improvements to cholesterol, blood sugars, blood pressure, and other risk factors. And the weight typically comes off very quickly. But there are problems that occur in the short term and the long term. So in the short term, gallbladder problems are really common. And I know many people who have had their gallbladders removed after doing a sort of crash diet, 
And there's also significant muscle loss that occurs. You know, when you cut calories, you don't just lose fat, you lose anything that your body can burn easily. And muscle is a handy source of fuel when there's a lack of fuel coming in through food. And muscle loss is a big deal because muscle tissue is metabolically active, meaning it burns calories even when you're not exercising. So less muscle means fewer calories burned over time, and that means several things. Firstly, the weight is gonna pile back on as soon as you step off plan, and you will step off plan because sustaining a very low calorie diet long-term is extremely difficult. And it's also gonna become more and more difficult to continue losing fat. You know, you're gonna have lost strength and structural support. And that's a big problem when you're over 35 particularly because you have to work so hard to build muscle after that age. And then there's also the risk of nutrient deficiencies. Our bodies need a lot of nutrients and it's very difficult to get enough when we're restricting food intake significantly. And when you're trying to keep calories low, that usually means avoiding fats because fats are gram for gram higher in calories than protein or carbs. And not only are fats essential for hormone balance and healthy skin, and healthy brain and healthy heart, joints and more, but also the fat-soluble vitamins, which are vitamins A, D, E and K, they can't be absorbed without some fat to be transported in. So lack of these nutrients is pretty common in very low calorie diets, even if you supplement them. And then that's a problem for your bone health, particularly the fat-soluble vitamins are very important for maintaining healthy bones. There's also probably gonna be some hormone disruption. Remember, we're still talking about in the short term here. I spoke about hormone disruption a little bit a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago. But just to remind you, women can't take their calories low without disrupting their hormones. And that means worse PMS, worsened menopausal symptoms, low mood, disrupted sleep, and more. And initially, these symptoms might be pretty good because of the anti-inflammatory effects of losing fat. But after a while, those symptoms will be back with a vengeance because of the disruption that comes from such a low-calorie diet. So those are some of the short-term effects. But what about the long-term? Well, where you've lost muscle as a result of the very low-calorie diet, weight gain is very likely. In fact, this follow-up study that I mentioned, it was published last year, and it showed that 95% of participants regained the weight that they'd lost. And the problem is, when you regain the weight, you don't automatically regain the muscle that you lost. So you actually end up with a higher body fat percentage than when you started. So not only that, but the nutrient deficiencies and the stress on your body of the rapid weight loss causes damage to the fat burning centers in our cells. These are called the mitochondria. And that makes it more difficult for us to burn calories, to burn glucose, 
And then that subsequently can lead to raised blood sugars. And then raised blood sugars leads to raised insulin, and that leads to more fat storage and you know, potentially sets us on the path to diabetes. So this follow-up study also showed that despite 10 of the 325 people managing to put their diabetes into remission at the end of the study, when they followed up after 15 years, the researchers concluded that there was no positive impact of a very low calorie diet on diabetes remission. In other words, none of the participants were better off for doing the diet 15 years prior. Now, as with any good study, there was a control group, basically a group of people who didn't change anything. And when the researchers compared the diet group to the control group after 15 years, they actually found a significantly higher incidence of cardiovascular events in the diet group. And, you know, the vascular events were more frequent in those who lost more weight. So vascular events means things like heart attacks, strokes, heart failure, arrhythmias, that sort of thing. So when I talk about taking an approach that looks after your long-term health, this is what I'm talking about. You know, repairing the metabolic damage and nourishing your body, preventing and repairing the damage done by weight loss diets. And then there's of course the psychological damage that comes from dieting. You know, the study didn't look at this, but I see it in my practice all the time. Women who have really negative relationships with food, disordered eating patterns, food anxiety, you know, constant feelings of guilt and shame, secret eating, binging, and more. So, you know, this all comes from this dieting approach, this restrictive approach that we are told is the way to lose weight. So hopefully you can see that going to this extreme of taking your calories really low, whatever way you go about it, you know, going to that extreme to get the weight off quickly just isn't worth it. You know, it's not good for you physically or mentally in either the short term or the long term. And, you know, it's it's frustrating really that in 2023, we're still having to push so hard against this damaging conventional approach and that doctors and medical professionals prescribe these fatty approaches and diets like the Fast 800 are promoted as safe and effective when in reality, very little research has been completed on the long-term effects of such extreme diets. And apparently very little concern is given to the long-term impact as well. You know, the studies show that the short-term impact on your cardiovascular health and you know, risk of diabetes and that sort of thing is you know, looking really positive because it all improves when the weight comes off. But 95% of those people regain the weight. And so those people who are regaining, their health is seriously compromised more so than if they hadn't even bothered to lose the weight in the first place. You know, when I, I remember that when I was studying nutrition over 10 years ago now, I remember one of my lecturers stating that 95% of diets fail and that those who don't bother dieting are healthier and that the 95% that did and failed were you know, less healthy. 
And you know, this research is, is still showing the same information and yet very low calorie diets are still prescribed as a treatment for obesity and diabetes. And it really achieves so little for so few and causes so much harm. So the important thing to know is that there are alternatives to very low calorie diets. And it's almost a cliche now, but it really is a case of moderation. Everything in moderation, you know, moderately reduce food intake, but not to the extent that you're famished and fatigued. Moderately increase exercise to a level that's manageable and sustainable. Don't cut out whole food groups and instead focus on adding in more nourishing foods. Allow yourself some indulgences and focus on self-care. If you're losing more than a couple of pounds a week, then you've probably cut back a bit too much. You know, it's very difficult for our bodies to burn more than a few pounds of fats each week. So if you're losing more than that, then you're almost certainly losing some muscle and probably a lot of water as well. If you're not losing weight on a more moderate approach, or if you're not sure what food you should be prioritizing, that's when it's a good idea to get professional advice from a registered nutritional therapist. A great place to start is with my free metabolism cheat sheet. I'll drop that in the show notes so that you can find it easily or visit louisedigbynutrition.com and you'll be able to find it there. Okay, now it's time for my listener's question. And this is what she said. Let me just get it up on my screen. She said, hi Louise, please could you answer my question on your podcast? I've been struggling with my thyroid for a while and after much nagging, I managed to get referred to a specialist who did a test for antibodies which were elevated. He has simply upped my dose of levothyroxine to treat, she put in inverted commas, this autoimmunity. But from what I read, autoimmune problems can be caused by gut issues. Is that right? And can I do something about it? I've been trying to get a referral to a nutritionist, but no luck so far. What is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Many thanks in advance. Okay, thanks for sending me your question. I have so much to say about this. First off, well done for getting a referral to an endocrinologist. That is not easy. And it's good that you're now aware that your thyroid is an autoimmune issue. Unfortunately, the doctors don't have the tools in their toolbox to deal with this type of problem. The only tool they have for underactive thyroid is to give levothyroxine, which is the T4 hormone. And they do that whatever the cause. So even if you've got low T3, which is your other thyroid hormone, they still give you the T4 hormone. Even if you've got antibodies, they'll use T4 hormone to treat that. And it does work in a sense in that it suppresses the production of the thyroid antibodies. And you know that helps to reduce the damage to the thyroid. But like you've said, we need to be asking why. Why are my thyroid antibodies raised? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be taking the medication, not saying that at all, but it's helpful to do a bit of digging and try and find out what's going on because there's always a reason. There's always a reason why our bodies are developing an autoimmune response. And when it comes to autoimmunity, generally, whether we're looking at the thyroid or something else, it does 
often come down to gut issues, but there's other things that could be going on as well, like infections or viruses or mold exposure, heavy metal toxicity or high toxic load, inflammation, food triggers, stress. So it could be one of those things, it could be lots of them. So there's lots to think about, but working on your gut health and your stress management is a great place to start. Next, you're, you're not going to be able to get a referral to a nutritionist or a dietitian on the NHS. Very, very unlikely anyway. Unfortunately, the way it works in the NHS is that you only get a referral to a nutritionist or dietitian if you're acutely ill. The resources are so limited that instead of doing any prevention, you're kind of just left until things get worse. And then eventually, once you're very poorly and somewhat lucky, you might get a referral. And I've worked with quite a few people who have been referred for one problem or another. And they generally come away disappointed as they just kind of get given a diet sheet and you know just don't really get much from the consultancy. And that's that's a problem with the resources available on the NHS rather than you know the dietitians or the nutritionists themselves. So the difference between nutrition practitioners is as follows. You've got dietitians, nutritionists and nutritional therapists. So dietitians are often they're often pipped as more highly qualified, but we've all done the same amount of training, so that isn't actually true. Dietitians tend to deal with the more acutely ill, people who are very poorly and perhaps need to be fed via a tube or need to be extremely careful about what they eat because, for example, maybe they've got kidney disease and they, their kidneys can't process protein or potassium. So they have to have a special prescribed diet. So a dietitian tends to be hospital-based. Then you have nutritionists, and this is where it gets a bit more confusing because it's not a protected term. So dietitian is a protected term. You have to be qualified to call yourself a dietitian, but anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, even if you've not done any training, even if they actually qualified in an entirely different field. So you do have to be careful and check the credentials and the, the actual uh, education of the person that you might be working with or just getting your information from. So a very small amount of nutritionists work in the hospital, sort of in the NHS, and they do similar things to a dietitian. And most nutritionists are, they're trained in general nutrition and sort of community nutrition. Then you have nutritional therapists. Nutritional therapy is a specialism of nutrition and we're trained in working one-to-one -one with people trained in behavioural change so that we're not just telling people what to do but helping them to actually achieve it with coaching and we tend to work with people who have more chronic issues like thyroid problems, weight problems, diabetes, chronic fatigue, depression and you know the usual ongoing health complaints that many people have and we call, we call ourselves registered nutritional therapists when we are working one-to-one -one with people but when we're doing group work we're generally called registered nutritionists so it's a little bit confusing and a lot of us call ourselves registered nutrition practitioners to kind of make it a bit more simple and not have to keep switching between titles so it is confusing when you're looking around but 
The key thing is to make sure that the person that you're working with has had a proper education in nutrition, not just a weekend course or not just an online course, you know, that they've done at least three years of study. Often private dietitians work in quite a similar way to nutritional therapists, but otherwise one big difference between dietitians or at least NHS dietitians and private nutritional therapists is the approach taken. So if you went to see a dietitian for diabetes, let's say, they would perhaps say, okay, you've got diabetes, so here's the diabetes diet that you need to follow. Whereas a nutritional therapist will take a more holistic approach and treat the person rather than treating the disease or the condition. Which is why if you've ever been to see a nutritional therapist, the first session will be over an hour and you'll fill in a lengthy questionnaire and the nutritional therapist wants to know everything about you, every little detail. And it's because we're looking at you as an individual and you know what your needs are so that the approach is tailored to you rather than giving a one size fits all approach for whatever your diagnosed condition might be. So that's a lengthy answer to your questions, but I hope it makes sense. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to talk to me about anything that I've discussed in this episode, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for at Louise Digby Nutrition. And if you'd like to get your question answered on the podcast, you can email me at louise at louisedigbynutrition.com and pop the podcast in the subject and send me over your question or you can ping it over on Instagram if that's easier. If you're enjoying this podcast, please head to wherever you get your podcasts, hit follow or subscribe and leave a review. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.